0: award-winning crunch time the tap went to Sloan, Sloan kicked a half-ball had mark marked by Taylor Walker he wants to get away from Collins and goes for 55 meters McAdam. Shane McAdam from 20 meters out, stabbed that a little bit straight through and the Crows will get home here, Ryan Marich
1: has kicked one, biggest kick in his life he has kicked two
2: the Eagles are in front. Right gets to the front, McGovern there. Menzie, hairballs over the top to Langford. He's at the top of the square. But the ball will back in front. Can believe it? Kyle Langford kicks five goals two weeks in a row. No, Mark ground, But there it is. They have hauled themselves out of the biggest hole you can imagine, Essendon. And by
3: virtue of Kyle Langford's fifth, their season stays alive.
4: The Crows keep their final hopes alive as the Sun season comes to a close. The Bombers performing the great escape against the Eagles at Marvel Stadium. A one-point victory sinking West Coast Hearts.
5: Real
0: aerial ping pong at the moment. Here's a quick Uh-oh. kick
6: from Goulden. A wrecking off a wow. step. Oh. And he's made it really tough for them now. Gee, there, uh, Swans crowd's up now. Comes to McLean. Clever a little key. smart tumbler. A snap now for the Swans is
1: It was Chad Warner, and the Chad's done the business and he's happy about it. He's
7: going to kick from 49, or outside 50,
2: sets sail, Mitch Duncan makes no mistake. And now Brian Myers, this to drive a dagger through Port Hart. He wheels around to the right, it bends, it bends, it bends through. Greatest bender he's ever
4: had! The Swans earn bragging rights in the derby with a masterclass in accuracy as life after Buddy begins. Geelong doing enough to outlast an undermanned Port who have now lost four games in a row.
2: Skies them inside 450. 50. Kiszycki, a nice gather coming out straight at the footy. Dylan Moore to Morrison for a steadier from 45 on a 45. Collingwood fans found their voice. Hawks have found theirs again. Trying to flick it back towards goal was Mitch Lewis. Surging onto it with a clean half-volley gather. Was Wingard, Mitch Lewis celebrating with the ball. Was halfway in its journey. Dave dashes through the middle of the MCG again. Handballs to Dylan Moore for some icing on a cake. Front square, guess who? Yeah, we've been looking forward to this,
0: you know, challenge against the best
7: in front of a big crowd. We want to get used to this and um, look good, feel good, play good. Retro jump is awesome. But yeah, super proud of the boys. Like, awesome result.
4: And would you believe it? Hawthorne. Yes, Hawthorne. Stunning Collingwood at the MCG. James Sicily simply superb as Finn McGuinness shows us that yes, Nick Dakos is taggable. You're listening to Sunday Crunch Time. Warm welcome to Sunday Crunch Time. Sarah Ollie here with Tom Morris and Scott Lucas. Our special guest will be D's assistant, Troy Chaplin, and Hawks gun, Dylan Moore. They will both join us in the second hour. I'll tell you what, Dylan Moore, Tom, just one of the many stars yesterday at the G for the Hawks.
7: What a game it was. Hawthorne v. Collingwood. I look forward to talking about that after midday. Hello to you, Sarah. Hello. Morning. Are you in
4: good form today? I believe I am in good form. Feeling sprightly after watching my swans get up in yesterday's derby i didn't know how that would go with no lance franklin a really big week for the club but it was nice to see some of those young forwards standing up in the absence of the big bud
7: It would have been interesting, Scotty, had Toby Green won the game for GWS (laughs) against Sarah Ollie's Swans because she loves Toby Green.
0: And she loves Sydney. And I think she would have been conflicted. Don't get caught up with form, Sarah. It's temporary. Class is Uh, (laughs) permanent. Remember that. Is that a quote from from a movie? Is that a quote from a movie, Scotty? That's mine. Come on, guys. Uh, I don't know. I reckon a coach somewhere along the way. Yeah, it makes sense. A coach. And you think that's the case in footy at the moment. Uh, Port not in super form but there is a level of class to them and we've just seen i mean within game we see momentum and shifts and we talk about 666 opens it up makes it hard to stop runs but wins and losses like you look at the threads that we've got on the ladder of win six win four win four then lost two like this and then you've got north melbourne lost 17. but it, it just really is difficult to stay up it's such an even competition and the ladder reflects that and that's why there's so much to talk about because it's such an even year. And on the back of, in particular, Collingwood and Hawthorne, you start scratching your head. And those other teams around them walk a little bit taller. That, is, is there a blueprint? At least we've learned a bit about Collingwood in the last couple of weeks for the other teams going into September.
4: It's a little blip in form for them. Do you think, though, the race is a bit wider, given the last fortnight with Collingwood, who many people were saying it's going to be Collingwood just by how much potentially. But we know that we saw last year, people were saying that midway through the season with Melbourne.
0: I thought Melbourne were four goals better than anyone else at the midpoint last year, and it just changes. And extend Collingwood out to three weeks, because I felt Port Adelaide should have beaten them with the way that the game was played and a lot of the statistical... Uh, data around that, Collingwood would just clutch in that last quarter to beat Port. So, effectively, they're ever so close to being a three in a row losing team as well, and they sit on top of the ladder. It's just a game, you know, Americans will say inches, but a game of centimetres, isn't it? It's just so tight this year.
4: And we will unpack more from the MCG a little bit later, but let's begin with our Sunday snaps. Tom, over to you.
7: Finn McGuinness is my snap Mm. this week. Father-son player at Hawthorne. An interesting career he's had because I think they initially thought that he was going to be a ball-winning midfielder or a flanker, and he's become, well, arguably the best tagger in the AFL. He got Josh Kelly earlier in the year, six disposals, and yesterday at the MCG, he got Nick Dacos, five disposals, two of them were kickouts, one of them was a kickout, another two were free kicks, so in open play, in three and a half quarters, he kept Nick Dacos to two touches.
4: It's remarkable. This is
7: a player who's been in and out of the team. And if you look at his other uh, scalps over the past year and a half, he kept Jai Simkin to 14, Took Miller to 21 touches, which isn't that uh which isn't doesn't really tell the full story, because Took Miller had zero marks and eighty two meters gained on that day. Um, and then Jordan Dawson to fifteen last year as well. He's a real weapon for Hawthorne in the right situation, and he was at his best yesterday against Nick Dacos, Scotty. You
0: said arguably who's a, who, who's in. I'm just trying, co- to, leave, I'm just yeah. trying to leave myself no, no, out, no, but I tend to agree
8: because <laughs>
0: there's not an obvious number two. No, if you know not. what I mean in terms I'm of trying the role. But yeah, you'd have to go through it because time and time again we hear of coaches talk about not wanting to upset what we're doing as an 18 man team defence. We can't afford to tag, but having watched Hawthorne live several times over the last couple of years, Sam Mitchell within games will just change it around, and if someone gets hot in the middle of the ground, Finn might they just put him on. on him and he does an excellent job more often than not and it comes with a real level of discipline because it's not easy because players and you're quite right tom he grew up as a ball winning player that's most players dna it's why they're drafted yet to go against that when you get to afl level is both hard from a your traits but also from an ego point of view absolutely so the discipline to do that is just outstanding and it's a huge effort and it really put, I think, and we heard from Craig McRae after the game, it put Collingwood off more than just Finn or Nick. It was where do we put Nick and what does it, what levers does it pull in other areas of the ground that takes away from what Collingwood were trying to do that they weren't able to do?
4: It became too much of a focus for them, yeah. didn't it, in the yeah. coaching box?
0: Yes, it did. And it was interesting to hear and potentially just a throwaway line from Taylor Adams at half time yeah. talking about, you know, he's going to have to work through that. That's the next 15 years. Uh because you don't want to focus too heavily on it as a team and be talking about that, because I think in many ways Taylor's right. Uh, it's a it's a badge of honour to be tagged. It means you're a really good player. It's how you work through it. And you just don't want to keep pulling uh, him from here and half-back. And it was interesting that they didn't put him at half-back, but rather to the forward line. So who'd they move out of the forward line that may be more offensive than Nick in order for Nick to go there? So just upset. So I think it just upset um, them as well a little bit like last week uh going to sicily or the week before eddie ford going to sicily it just changes what for hawthorn what they want to do in the game and then they have to play slightly different so i've always believed there's enormous space in the game for a tagger or a cooler if you want to call it that just goes and clamps on because coaching as much as what you want to do is also taking away from the opposition what they want to do if you let the opposition play the way that they want all the time they're going to more, be more successful. So I, I thought Sam Mitchell, and it's not the first time, has planned and executed really well over his short coaching journey. Sarah, what about your snap?
4: My snap is Errol. Errol Gordon is absolutely... Oh. Right. I, I How, recant- good. How good? is that?
0: Errol's second, isn't he? It's Toby Sorry, that? and then Errol. <laughs>
4: Such a joyful tune for a joyful player. I just thought he was absolutely sensational last night. Two goals from the 32 disposals. And those two goals were absolutely incredible. How about that one where he's running down the wing, he gets the ball back. I think he had some players open he probably could have passed to, but he stood up in the moment. He said, I'll be the man, and he slots it really coolly from about 45 metres out. This is a 21-year-old kid who was playing with... Oh, such maturity. He's really belying his age. And he was definitely the standout last night against the Giants. This is someone who was taken with pick 32 in the mm. 2020 draft. A Swans Academy player, Braden Campbell that year was also selected. He was a top 10 pick. He was allowed to slide Errol Goulden until pick 32. I'll tell you what, if he were redoing that draft, he would go much earlier. He's diminutive. He's only 176 centimetres, but he packs a punch and I'll tell you what, I'm going to enjoy watching him for the next decade.
7: Scotty, if you're Errol Golden's manager, you're licking your lips, I reckon. He's contracted to the end of 2024. And I reckon a long-term deal isn't far away if he continues to play that sort
0: of footy. Without question. Sydney have been prepared to do longer-term deals. With yeah, their players. Nick Blakey, yep. t- yeah. 2031, yep. I mm-hmm. think it is. So mm-hmm. I would say if Errol is open to a significantly long-term deal, that that would be available to him because he is so important. I mean... Top three or four most important players, best players at the Swans. Yeah, top couple. He's very impactful. I think this year he'd be their best player. Yes, and an All Australian. He should be. Mm. I think he would would definitely have
4: a spot in the All Australian team at the moment. I think so too. Consistent. I don't think he's had a bad game this year, and you know. Just
0: said, thirty-two and two, and they weren't two goals. There are two potential, you know, on Monday when the AFL put out goals of the week, they both could be in there. In a game where you win by two goals, yeah. you know, a tight game. What yeah. about your snap, Scotty? Um, friend of the show, Tom, as you described him off air as we. Ca- <laughs> uh, We've we got many friends on this the show, this Scotty. Yeah, we do. Uh, Kyle Langford, mm. uh, clutch. He's kicked bags of five goals three times this year. Uh, without him yesterday, they don't win. They only played one good quarter of football, the Bombers, and that was the second quarter, and he kicked four goals in that quarter. Uh, He sits seventh on the goal kicking. So in and around him is Jeremy Cameron, who a matter of weeks ago we were having the discussion, could he kick 100? Mm. And Tom Hawkins has 47. He's seventh with 45. He has to be. Now, he might not make the All-Australian team because it's a bloody difficult team to make, but he certainly deserves to be in the squad because of the impact he's had and, and the performances he's put together. And you were there yesterday.
7: Yeah. Uh, and he's kicked five goals two weeks in a row. Um, what makes him so damaging?
0: What what's his best attribute? He's different. So he's it's the matchup. So he's taller I reckon he's taller than most teams would think. So they go, Oh yeah, we'll put someone on his on the same size. He marks better than most would expect in the air. So if you go smaller to keep up with him, because his agility is really good, he'll get you in the air. If you put someone in the air, get you on the ground. So he's a really tough matchup, but he's a bloody clever player because within that forward line, you had Peter Wright and others, but he would be at the end of the kick so often because I think he just reads it a bit better than a lot of other forwards in the comp. That's part of his his shtick. And most importantly, in a game littered with errors, he was clutch. He kicked four goals one in that, Um, second quarter. And the shot that he missed narrowly was from about 45 out, two metres in from the boundary line. And that's part of the story. He kicked the goals, whereas the reason that the door was ajar was big. Phillips missed an easy one and Guelphie missed easy ones and they couldn't put... And and Peter Wright, who's extremely good kick for goal, I think had three behinds in the first half, all really gettable for him. So... He stood out in that game for that reason, because he finished efficiently.
4: Has something clicked for Kyle Langford this year? He's 26 years old. He's been around for a while, but this year, by far, seems to be his best season. What's changed? By far.
0: I think he started to build a year or two ago that we he'd been in and out a bit, and I think he started to find his spot and feel comfortable at the level. And it's really interesting. We were chatting, weren't we, off air about Jamara. And some of the discussions around him in his first few games was incredibly unfair. And now we're seeing the player that is befitting of the number one pick. He's a third season tall. And I think for uh, Kyle, it just took that time to get going, understanding his game better and perhaps coaches knowing best how to deploy him. Because at the same time, I saw him in a couple of games, I think in St Kilda early in the year, where he'd come off three or four goals a week before and they'd put him to half back. It's like, no, 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 no. This guy's too smart. There's not that many players that are able to average two goals a game in this competition. He's shown that he's one of them this year. Mm -hmm. Talent forward of the ball is what can get the job done. How many times do we see teams, they have more inside 50s, but they just don't have talent forward of the ball? And he's one of those players that needs to play there.
4: All right, let's get into the Saturday wrap for Werribee Izuzu Ute. Upgrade your old Ute into a D-Max now. They are paying top dollar for trade-ins. And we did mention it, but last night in Derby 26, it was the Sydney Swans, 15-6-96, getting the bragging rights over the Giants, 12-13-85. They record an 11-point win. And really, it does keep their season ticking <sighs> over, Tom. They are it just keeps teasing you, doesn't still it? to make... The eight, they sit in 10th at the moment on 42 points. The same as Geelong, who are in 8th position, their percentage just a little bit better. It's going to be an interesting run home for them, but good to see the Swans... Getting their season back together, getting some form given the disappointment to start the year. Well, they've
7: lost games because they've kicked inaccurately and they won last night because they kicked accurately. It was
4: mental, really. It the was actually mental roots. how well
7: they were kicking. And I watched the game, um, I watched both games, but I was watching uh, the first quarter and a half of the Sydney GWS game in particular. Mm. And I just I, it looked as if they were just moving the ball so well from back to forward. And then I watched Adam Kingsley's press conference and he said that 10 of the first 11 goals for the Swans, Scotty, were from the back half. And I think his quote was, that was extraordinary. And
0: that's the way it looked as well, which tells me that the Giants' defence was off, but the Sydney's offence was on. Scoring chains generally just don't, at that ratio, come from the back half because so much happens from exiting the back half to scoring a goal. So the opposition has plenty of chances to slow down, force turnover, et cetera. Uh, They were poor defensively, the Giants. And... That had really been a hallmark of their game in the weeks previous that they'd stood up defensively. And I feel for their backmen because uh, their mids and forwards provided them no support in slowing the ball. Mm. I mean, the back line, quite often, your opportunity comes as a result of pressure on the ball. And the ability for Sam Taylor to intercept is because dirty ball comes into forward 50. But last night, it was just in and out into an open forward line because there was just no pressure.
4: It was a strange game to watch. And there were eyeballs on the Swans forward line because, of course, no Lance Franklin. But I thought it was nice to see Hayden McLean stand up, kick the four goals. Joel Amati started with a bang with two majors. He's going to
7: be a good player, Joel Amati. He already is, but he's going to be a very good player.
0: Buddy is, it's obvious to say what an outstanding player he's been. But I don't think it hurts him in a sense that Buddy's not in the forward line now. Because they would honour his leads because of the presence and what he is. But I'm sure Hayden McLean, in the most respectful manner possible, and Joel Amarty feel that there's greater opportunities there now. And they feel more that they're not... When they'd play there previously, they almost feel like they're renting a space inside Ford 50 until Buddy comes back into the team. Yeah. So you're always on edge from a selection point of view and trying to keep your place. So you don't always play your game. Uh, now they know that, hey, it's up to us. And it's what we do and how we perform. The coach has to back us in because essentially there's no one else. So I think with that comes a lot of confidence for those two players. And we've seen signs of it at times. But now they get a real run at it. And in conditions that weren't favourable for key forwards, uh, they got six out of 15 between them. Yep. A pretty good effort.
4: It was another heated derby. It's a rivalry that continues to build, Tom. And this was Adam Kingsley post-match.
0: Derbies derby's always are. My experiences in, in these sort of matches, not not in Sydney derbies, but certainly in showdowns in Adelaide, uh, they're a coin flip every time. It doesn't matter what the form line says. It doesn't matter who's in, who's out. They're coin flips. And, and all we have to do is cast our minds back to the Q clash last week or the week before and it tells you everything you need to know. So um, we were fully aware of that. We prepared really well. We just got beaten by a better team tonight.
7: So I thought the Giants had it after Ward and Green kicked those two late goals, but then Chad Warner's snap was fantastic. He's so clutch, Chad Warner. He's a fantastic player to watch. But Robbie Fox, I want to ask you about on Toby Green, Sarah, did a really good job, um, 12 intercept possessions. Such an important role on the Giants' most important player.
4: Yeah, I thought Toby looked a little bit off last night, he was a bit aggro at times, almost. <laughs> and I mean, that's always lying dormant within Toby Green—that little bit of aggro. It's what it, makes him. It doesn't him take
0: long to cross it <laughs> over. I was going <laughs> to say lying dormant. <laughs> it's an always eruption d- way. It's only totally yeah, yeah. just slightly below the surface. But he almost surface.
4: seemed frustrated that he couldn't have the impact. I mean, he had his opportunities, and he what did he kick the two or the three goals two, in I the think. end? Yeah. Um, and he just thought, you know, in those stoppages in that last term where's Toby? Where's yeah. Toby? Because earlier in the year, it was Toby Green, of course, who sunk Swan's hearts with that stoppage goal. Um, but yeah, an impressive an impressive performance from Robbie Fox, who continues to just go about his business very quietly.
7: So just look at the ladder. The Giants are seventh as we sit here today. Mm-hmm. The Swans are tenth, just two points behind the Giants. The Giants have Port, Essendon and Carlton to come. Sydney have Gold Coast, Adelaide and Melbourne to come. It's still in their hands, and they're both red hot. But I look at those two teams, and I think if they both played finals, the Giants are more likely to do damage than the Swans. Why is that? I just think the Giants are a more rounded, better team. It sounds weird because the Swans won last night. But you look at the Giants' form, you look at them at their best, I think they're probably better equipped to win a final than the Swans, Scotty.
0: And you never want to – they're ripe in a sense, but they'd been up for a long time. They'd had a lot of wins, Uh, and – Adam Kingsley described it really well. You know, it's a coin flip. Yeah. And, you know, desperate for Sydney, probably a bit more on it for them. Uh, What's intriguing about the latter, though, you've got Carlton on 42 points amongst three teams. They lose today, they stay ninth, but they can get... Fifth. Fifth. It's a huge game, isn't it? I tell isn't you, that a big I game? I love the ladder. Oh, the, the ladder to me, I love my wife, and the ladder's number two.
7: The, the, that was the, was sorry, Bridget. your snap a couple of weeks ago. Weeks ago. Last week. Yeah. And that
0: wasn't being disrespectful no. to your wife either. We know how much you love the ladder. Yeah, Bridget's a fantastic woman, but the ladder <laughs> oh. is an
7: amazing prospect. It is an incredible thing at the moment. It is yeah, it so is. even. Anyway,
4: hello to be Woman if you are listening. But yesterday at Adelaide Oval, it was the Crows 13 11 89 defeating the Gold Coast Suns. to record a 28-point win. Really, the difference here was the first quarter. Adelaide kicking five goals to the Gold Coast, none. And that was the end margin. So the slow start, it came back to bite the Gold Coast Suns, who had their chances throughout the match, but the Crows just too good in the end.
7: The margin was 10 points midway through the the fourth quarter. I thought, surely the Gold Coast Suns can't do this. And in the end, um, the Crows kicked through the last four goals to win the game. But the, the the Crows at their best is so impressive. But the story of their season is they haven't been able to hold it together for long periods of time. And the Suns didn't kick a goal, Scotty, until halfway through the second quarter. So this was a game that's sort of hard to read. Like, the, the margin was 35 points. The Suns probably felt they could have stolen it had they uh, made the most of the momentum when they had it. They had Matt Croucher at 31 disposals for the Crows. Tex Walker kicked two goals. But then someone like Sam Flanders had another 27. So I find it very hard to... Um, get a read on on how this game played out. Other than the fact it was four points for the Crows, which they desperately needed,
0: oh, and it was the critical mistake in that last quarter, Ballard bringing the ball into the yes. corridor, ten or eleven points in it, or might have been even been closer. Um, mark goal to the Crows, and that's the game. Whereas if you you know you walk it back, and that's probably what gets them back into the game that they go aggressive and they score and get on a run. But if you could take that back and go long down the line. And start again. Perhaps yep. it's a different outcome. I got. A qu- oh, sorry, Sarah.
4: No, you go. I've got a question
7: for both of you, and it was asked on our cousin show, Saturday Crunch Time, yesterday.
0: And I'm <laughs> not brother or sister, cousin, cousin. 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 Okay. I'm not sure what the friend right answer of this is. Friend of our show too, it's Br- a, a, or it's family member. <laughs> well, close it's, that's not enough. You don't always enough. like family. Uh, uh, that's that's right.
7: also true, don't Sarah. In this case, it's a close friend and a cousin. It was asked <laughs> on the show yesterday if Damien Hardwick signs a contract this week. Do you announce it this week, or do you wait until the end of the season? <laughs>
4: I would be waiting a little bit, I think.
0: Really? Yeah. Well, and waiting for the media reports well, to come well, out. What are you going to do, a Zoom from Cinque Terre? Well, they went there. Yeah, I know, but you announce your coach and put him on a Zoom from No, the, you wouldn't. the no, depths of Italy? He wouldn't be involved, but you'd announce it formally. Well, you don't announce your coach without the coach being involved, do you?
4: Well, it's an interesting one. Yeah, and, 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 it's all and, sorts of weird. And what are the goals for the Suns for the rest of the year? This was a question put to Stephen King yesterday.
1: Yeah, I don't think since I took over, we had finals as a carrot. Um, I think if we looked that far ahead, you know, we would have taken our eyes off what was important. So we're on nine wins. We've got three games to go. I think the record we've won is 10 wins. So let's let's try and beat that. So that's, that'll be the carrot for the boys to be the first Gold Coast Suns team to win 11 games in a season. Um, that's, that's something that's realistic for us to chase and something we'll get after.
7: Yep. That's a fair aim to have for the Suns. And Matthew Nix was extremely positive about the Crows' start as well, in a way that was refreshing for a coach, to be so honest.
9: Really, I, I know we, we played well throughout, um, but the start was was the difference. I thought we were outstanding to start with first quarter to come in. And we, we, we didn't allow a very good opposition to play their way. And we knew they'd come at a point in the game, and they did, second and third quarters. And the game was... I thought it was a good battle through those second and third, but um, that first quarter was was critical to us getting the win.
7: Mac Andrew was the Rising Star nominee last week. He had 15 disposals yesterday as well. He's starting to become a player that the Suns would hope would have hoped he would become when he was drafted. Starting to fill out into his body a bit. He's rangy. He's lanky. He's
4: special. He's he getting does a bit a of the few ball. Few things that really catches the eye. Mac Andrew.
0: He'll be inconsistent, but I like his best stuff, and I think that. To Stephen King's comments, that's part of finals not being the carrot. I think list management has had a greater impact on selection yep. than previously because they want to expose some players. I think Flanders, uh, Hollands are two examples and also Mac Andrew where they've got those players into the team and it's like, well, we're going to play them and find, not even find out, give them a chance to develop. Uh, and that's what they've done and they're starting to reap that. I think MacAndrew was the rising star nomination last week. Hadn't played a lot of footy up until then. So they're just not experimenting but exposing players that they want that they think are part of that next wave.
4: This has been the Saturday Wrap for Werribee, Izuzu Ute. They make buying cars easy. Stick with us on Sunday Crunch Time. Up next, we unpack the wins of the Dons and the Cats.
0: Selected the side on Thursday morning, we made eight changes from there without, sorry, seven changes from the time the side was selected, and then we lost Trent 10 minutes in. So, yeah, they definitely hurt, but every team has challenges, and you know, we ultimately had a real crack at overcoming those challenges, which makes you pretty proud about what they were able to do.
4: What Adelaide coach Ken Hinckley there. Rather glass half full after last night's loss down at the Cattery. They went down by 12 points. And given, as he mentioned then, the stack of injuries, the changes, the late withdrawals they had when it comes to this side, it was, Scotty, a really young and undermanned team travelling down to GMHBA Stadium, which continues to be a fortress for the Cats.
0: I think it's a classic case that you've got to look a little bit deeper than the facts and the four losses in a row. Uh, with their form. I mean, it started with Carlton, who I think they had seven changes. And it's rare that you win when you have seven somewhat enforced changes. Carlton were red hot. Feel they should have been Collingwood when they got some players back. Um, then last week in the showdown, we spoken about the Crows. And then last night against Geelong. They've had a tough month of games. And they've, they've come up short from the win-loss. I still think their game's in order. The question is whether they can get those players back so their best team or a resemblance of their best team is out on the paddock. Yeah. Because we talk about how even it is. You just, and the Swans are playing much better football, but part of that is availability, you know? The greatest ability is your availability, and teams that don't have it really are struggling because it's an even comp. So I feel comfortable with Port and where they're at if they can get their players back. Yeah. and so much centres. If you look at it a bit deeper, they'll be really pleased with the performance, say, of Horn Francis, and butters consistently have been excellent, all Australian, etc. But the performance of Horn Fraser, uh Horn Francis, in that game last night is really significant. It's tough. I reckon it's the toughest place to go to and play well. If you look at it, yeah, unless you're Freo, yeah, or <laughs> <laughs> the Giants this year, yeah, yeah. But generally, Geelong, are, they're such a good team. They're well coached. It's the real audit of your game. And I thought the way that Horn Francis played last night was exceptional.
7: Yeah, if you look at Port Adelaide's team and Ken Hinckley said it after the game, they lost Charlie Dixon, yeah. um they've got a lot of injuries and then their the back line was out. Finn Lason. they lost Bergman a couple of hours before the match due to illness. And I was just impressed by the way the Cats moved the ball. It looked like
0: they had their ball Fast. movement back. It was quicker than it had been in previous year, uh, previous weeks. So clearly they would have looked at who's missing. Yep. Alir Alir is a fortress. He just blonks himself. He intercepts. Not there. We're a chance to score, but we've got to get it in quick, guys. Go aggressive and we can score. And they did. And Ollie Henry was critically important, wasn't he? And that yep. just shows the depth of Geelong. Hawkins goes out. Henry can step up in his absence and kick. Four goals,
7: And I'm interested in the psychology of the Cats as well because they had a different week last week, Sarah. On Monday, they came into the club. They didn't do anything. On Tuesday, they had a surf. They had a swim. They played golf. And then on Wednesday, they trained. So Chris Scott and the coaches wanted to break things up. And I don't know if the ends justify the means. They, they won the game. Um, it wasn't their best performance, but it just shows they're looking for different ways to tinker with things so that they can perform at their best. And Grind Myers is a player who is performing at his best. He's become an integral part of that team and a player that I never thought he could become, Sarah. I thought he'd be a handy small forward. He's more than that now.
4: He's very creative, yeah. isn't he? And when unique. he has ball in hand. Yeah, and he's always leading to scores. So I feel like he had his hand in maybe seven of the Cats. Well, he's goals he's going to break the record. Night.
7: He's going to break the record that's held by
0: Jason Akamanis. I think it's 48 or 49, and he year, Scotty. So in the game, 12 score involvements, 5 goals assists. Yeah, wow. Look, he's a star and he kicked too. So, you know, direct hand in, in 7, had and Jeremy, 24 disposals. He's having his best year by far. He's yeah. been exceptional.
7: And Jeremy Cameron is back to his best, or close to back to his best. I know he kicked inaccurately last week, but last night he was better. Chris Scott thinks he's going to continue to get better, and Tom Hawkins has even a chance to come back in next week, if not the week after. It's not a, not a big hamstring.
0: I mean, sorry. It is a big hamstring. Well, it's it's big, not a it's significant a big hamstring. <laughs> it's a big leg. It's low on the grade scale. Um, I would say he'd been, if you know, Geelong Tom Hawkins' yeah. age of player. No chance to play him this week, yeah. unless he virtually didn't have a hamstring. I just think Jeremy Cameron's had some body issues that have made it harder to play. And Chris Scott's not one to make excuses, but he did allude to that in his press conference last night. Um, he's also, you know, proud of his senior players that stood yeah. up when the when. It looked like Port, a little bit younger, but that run and overlap started to become an issue for them. You just thought momentum. This will be tough for Geelong to, to pair it back, but they're able to respond. Yep.
4: So the Cats, they are back in the 8-10-9, and that one draw, and this was Chris Scott, on their road to the finals.
9: I'm not sure that I'd be panicking if we lost it. And look, I'll be frank with you. I'm, even if we lose the next few games and miss the finals, I'm not going to be panicking. We're, we're, we're going we're to keep fighting we haven't found our best um, this year, um, but there's no reason that we can't find it. And If it's not um, next week, then we'll push hard to make it the week after, but the winter ice certainly helps. It just, and even if you just, you don't have to spend too much time studying it, just look ar- around the competition and even some of the results today. Like, it's hard for teams to stay really consistent all the way through the year. It's still gonna be the team that gets it right in the last six weeks. So for much of the year, we've been asking if the power was too
7: late on Ken Hinckley to re-sign him. Now, if they re-sign him this week, are they going too early? Are we sure they're going to be the premiership fancies that they looked like six weeks ago, Scotty?
0: Um, I don't care whether they are or not. He's still the right man. How can he not be? I agree with that. I, I think he's the right man as well. So, But you've got to pose the question still, Tom, don't you? We have to break it down. I think, and it's an interesting one when we talk about it, August one, Sarah. Look, did they not discuss it till mid twelve oh one on August one? <laughs> or you know, it's a fair, it's a, an intriguing situation because I think we've had enough information all year with the way that they've played, some of the challenges they've had. Look, they haven't turned like last night going to Geelong, uh, eight out. How many teams have we seen over the years that just? capitulate. I mean, it was the Bombers six weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, nine yeah. goals down a quarter time. This team hangs tough. And part of that is the DNA that they possess as a result of their coach. So I think it's as obvious a decision to re-sign someone as I've ever seen. And it's irrespective of happen, what happens from here on in. Sarah? Damned if
4: you do and damned if you don't, Though, right. Because imagine if they'd signed him and he lost the four games, everyone yeah. would have their arms up. But if you do it now it's off four losses. So
0: Yeah, I agree so, so tell us if they if they made a change, what do we on who would it be? Josh Carr. A, and what would the ups like, do we really think and if Josh Carr came in next year and they're at a similar level, is that a win? Look the downside is that they They blow it up. Yeah, that they're nowhere near as good and then you go, why did we do that? Because I still look at their team. And they're not – you know, when where teams are at, there's no reason for Port to be at the top of the peak and about to come off with their list, no. in my opinion. The young mids are good. Oh, yeah, yeah. Good? You sold that short, Tom. For I'm a man a, that I, likes to build it up, Tom. I'm a, I'm a, they're jets. They're I'm, mids. Like, if you look, put the best three young mids at any club or even the three best mids, Port compete. But if you put an age limit on it, they've got the best three. Sarah, one thing
7: on Ken Hinckley before we move on. He raised the fact – that Port were negative 14 for free kicks, but then refused to elaborate further. <laughs> He's a very <laughs> smart operator. <laughs> yeah.
4: I see what he was doing, It's, yeah. a, it,
7: it's just the stat. Yeah. You do with it what you want. That's what he said. He said, yeah. you're the journo. You can- <laughs> yeah, have a look at <laughs> I that. I think Shane Hope from AAP was the journo in the press conference and he just nodded <laughs> his head.
4: <laughs> it's going to be a fascinating watch when it comes to Port Adelaide and Ken. And it was a fascinating watch yesterday at Marvel Stadium. You were there, Scotty, yeah. to see the Bombers 10-13-73. Just get it done over the West Coast Eagles, 11-6-72. A one-point win. It was really unconvincing from the Bombers, but they found a way to win through Kyle Langford, who's having some season.
0: It was a a weird game. Uh, You had the first quarter where the the Bombers weren't accurate, but were behind almost like that they thought it would happen. So you, you take that view because of where they're both at, at the ladder. So then the Bombers come out in the second quarter and they're really strong. Langford kicks four and you go, okay, well, the normal transmission has resumed. They kick the first goal of the third quarter. And then after that, it was all West Coast. Uh, and they still had their chances to put a gap on it, but it was a poor performance. I mean, West Coast would be really pleased with how they went they'd probably look at it and go, well, where has that been from a, an actual effort and intensity point of view for the rest of the year? Yeah, Where's that been? But if you look at the Bombers, they won, but they lost. And what I mean by that is they won the game. So they're, they're still in the hunt. But if you look at the performances of teams around them and how they were able to play, if the Bombers were to make the eight at this point in time, and I think with the way the results are gone, that'll be very difficult. They've got to win the next three, and their percentage yeah, got, is so bad. That's right. So they're actually, when you talk they're two or a game out, they're really two games out with three to go. Now, they get North next week, and on their performance last night, they're absolutely no guarantee, and North almost beat them last time.
4: Is it a psychological thing? You're coming up against this side who people are saying it's the worst team ever since Fitzroy, and you just kind of think it's yeah. going to happen?
0: It can be. It can be, but too many other teams have disregarded that and blown West Coast out of the water. And and Essendon weren't able to do that. So West Coast walk away with a level of confidence. The Bombers scratch their head and go, gee, it's going to be a tough week next week. And then I think they've got the Giants and Collingwood. So the Giants will be a really tough game for them. And Collingwood, of course, going in with with a week's break between finals. Everyone wants to be red hot. You're not foot off the gas. In round 23 now, you've got to put your best performance out there because then you've got that week off that not everyone wants. So, yeah, they've got a lot of work to do, the Bombers. Overall, you know, you look at their year and there's been some real uh, things that you can take away from it, but they've still got a lot of work to do because – and it's the same conversation we go, they've got a lot of good young players and whoever you're referring to in that regard, everyone's got young players and everyone is trying to improve. So with that in the mind – Bomb's got a lot of work to do still. Let's call it as it is. It's better that West Coast lost yesterday. It's better. Because they don't want to finish
7: 17th. They need to finish 18th. But show their fans. We mentioned that in the the call. Yep.
0: And we raised the question. With the latter. It's clearly better. So they've They've already. Sorry, Tom, for interrupting. They've already looked at deals and have been discussing deals for what they can do with pick one. There would have been. So Adam Simpson might have been pleased with how it was rolling along. But I'm sure this management was scratching their heads at some stage and. Throwing the toys out of the cot.
4: Well, they were down by thirty points so in think? the third term. The
0: Eagles. <laughs> oh, sorry, Are you, but
4: you're not you're not bringing up like any form of um, tanking or anything not like at that. All. They the wanted to win the match, but you're saying yeah. in terms there's of having no, the first yeah. pick,
1: the best it's result they
4: didn't.
7: is they perform as well as they can and still lose for West yeah. Coast at the moment. But they weren't
0: There's no thought of them the way that they played.
7: No, no. the last two weeks they've been a lot better. And th- let's remember, this is a West Coast team that travelled of a six-day yeah. break yeah. and won the last quarter.
0: That That's a tick. And I think we have seen teams in the past where you can look at some moves late in games, Tom, and perhaps go, okay, we know what's going on here. Yep. But there was no thought of that. They, yep. um, they went as hard as they can. And you saw that Zirk Thatcher mark late in the game where Allen was pleading for a free kick the for block, a, a yeah. block and – there was animation on the bench, and Cripps kicked a goal, hurt his ankle, went back out there. like yeah. They were um, they were foot to the floor. Yeah, and Tim yeah. Kelly was good as well, Sarah. He's yeah, excellent. and I
4: also thought props to the Essendon skipper, Zach Merritt. He almost willed his side over the line. That tackle that led to the Mason Redmond goal, just yeah. moments like that when the leaders stand up, and in the end, perhaps that was the difference. Stick with us on Sunday Crunch Time. Tom, you're getting out the whip next
2: drive the GWM Canon CC, part of the Berwick Motor Group.
7: On Crunch Time, the news whip with Tom Morris.
4: This is when Tom likes to crack out the whips and there's a fair <laughs> bit going on, Tom. Let's start in the trade realm this morning.
7: Let's have a listen to Chris Scott talk about Asava Radigalia, who was a client of our man Scott Lucas last night.
9: Yeah, it was great to have him back. He was he was great in the air. Um, yeah, he's look. I'm really optimistic around what Asaba can be um, for us, and I've been clear. I reckon from almost the day he was drafted uh, around my optimism with him. I've, I've always rated him. I've got high hopes of what he can be. Um, and I'm looking forward to watching it very closely.
7: Pointed remarks from Chris Scott, a coach who has left Asava Radaglia out of the team several occasions over the past couple of years. But when he plays well, he looks like not just a first-choice AFL player, but a very good AFL player, Scotty. You're his manager. We know that clubs like him. Will he be at Geelong next year?
0: It's a good question, Tom. Uh, look, we do look after him. Yep. Uh, Chris Scott has been consistent all along with how's he, how he sees him and how much he values him. He is out of contract, and I'll defer to Winston, who's having lots of conversations <laughs> with Andrew Mackey, who is the list manager at Geelong.
7: Sarah, what do you think of Sarva Radaglia's worth on the open market in terms of years? Maybe not. don't have to give us a how financial How old is Sava
4: Radaglia, Scotty?
0: 25?
4: Yeah, okay. Yeah. So he's still got some pretty good football ahead of him, and I think he's showing glimpses this year of what he could potentially achieve down back. He'd command a four-year deal somewhere else, wouldn't he? At
7: least, I think, at least. Yeah, he just turned 25 and um, given his best, I think so as well. Scotty, very well deflected. Nicely done. <laughs>
4: <laughs> so, Tom, a stack of injuries yeah. across the weekend. Uh, what's the latest when it comes to the Pies? Because that loss to the Hawks, it really was compounded by a bench that had three injuries in the end. Well, Nick
7: Dacos, the corky on his knee that uh, occurred after, or as he was crunched in a marking contest, um, scans were conducted overnight. We're waiting to hear from Collingwood over the next few minutes exactly how serious this is, but clearly he was in a lot of pain and he didn't play the last, what, 15 or 20 minutes of the game. The other one is Nathan Murphy, who... Uh, Craig McRae said is a lower-end syndesmosis, which is at least one week, probably more. You'll get it scanned.
0: Um, that's normally three or four weeks, isn't it, Scotty? I would have thought. I mean, because even though it's a, a low grade, a syndesmosis is generally not a week. It's, no. You'd think it's three or four. That without, sounds
4: like an oxymoron to me. Yes. It does. Uh, like, that's what Craig... A McRae, syndesmosis is serious.
0: Yes, like, by virtue, once you describe it as that, you're missing a decent chunk of football, yeah. I would think.
7: So Billy Frampton won't play VFL today as a result of Nathan Murphy's injury. Some other injuries, are, well, quite a few concussions, and this is a very topical point at the moment in the AFL. Jacob Hopper with, was concussed on Friday night, so he won't play in round 22. Anthony Scott was concussed as well for the Dogs. Um, and uh, And last night we thought that Todd Marshall might have been concussed. This was a really... Tense moment, I imagine for Port Adelaide, but he came back on and he's okay. I'd imagine
0: they would be taking no risks in that space. Another friend of the show, guys, uh, <laughs> Kane Corns mentioned, uh, and I was listening to him over the weekend, and he makes an excellent point. And I think it's something they've got to do sooner rather than later. That when the player goes off for assessment, the sub needs to be activated, yes. so that it takes a time the time pressure it becomes virtually non existent because you're not one down on the bench. You still have your four and then you can accurately assess that player without any form of pressure. Why is
7: that not the case? I feel I, like I it don't used know. to be the case in the because, initial in the initial sub rules a decade ago, yeah, that was allowed.
0: Yeah. So if we look at it from a logical point of view, we've got four on the bench with the prevalence of concussion now, and I think injuries in general, your bench is tested like it hasn't been tested before. So I think we need to make concessions or adjustments to better support players. And one of those would, would be to allow with concussion, no other rule. And I don't think, of course, someone someone's, oh, well, you might manipulate it and use it to your advantage. Let's move past that and go for health and welfare. We saw with last week with Port Adelaide, and I'm sure some of the challenges were time relevant in what they were doing and assessing those plays. If you can just activate your sub, away you go and it just allows you a little bit more time and peace of mind to accurately assess those plays. It seems a no brainer for me to do. The yeah. other one for the Gold Coast
7: Suns is Will Powell a leg injury. The oh, club that looked
4: awful, looked
7: terrible. The club thinks it might just be ligament damage, not a break, but we're not sure yet. So that looked. I think he was on the green whistle as well. It was immediately Chase Jones ankle. Wait for scans to determine whether it's ligament or bone at Adelaide. And Jack Henry with the foot, he was subbed out. It's the opposite foot that's caused him issues in the past. Geelong says nothing too serious, but again, he'll be pushing. He'll be pushing it to play next week.
4: The MRO, anything out of that? I know Brent Daniels was reported on the spot for his hit on Jake Lloyd last night.
7: This will come down to whether Daniels elected to bump or not. Adam Kingsley said, or his opinion was, that Lloyd slipped, and as a result, the um, contact was incidental. Um, If it's not, careless, high contact, and medium impact is a week. I'm leaning towards this being a week for Brent Daniels, and the Giants might appeal. Uh, The other one is Williams on Redmond, which is a high bump, quite similar, actually, in that game at Marvel Stadium yesterday. Um, and, and I think he also gets a week here. I think Williams gets a week for that. And the other one is a dangerous tackle from Toby Bedford where he pinned one arm of Ollie Florent. He received a free kick for holding the ball, Toby Bedford, but there was head contact at the ground. I think this is a meat and potatoes from what we've seen this year, one week for Toby Bedford as well. So they're the three incidents that I think will be looked at by the MRO today.
4: The AFL EGM Oof. role, is that making any movements?
7: What's an EGM for those wondering? The Executive General Manager. This is the position that's going to sit below Andrew Dillon and above the footy boss. It's a new role with a large portfolio that's being created to take on some of Travis Old's position and some other responsibilities. Um, Brennan Gale, as Caro reported in The Age, is out, leaving Tom Harley, the CEO of the Swans, Simon Garlic at Freo, and Amit Baines as the other three. Now... Simon Garlick has previously said no publicly. I don't think the Dockers are keen for him to go. Tom Harley and Amit Baines have been more quiet. But it's interesting now because Gail was their number one, Sarah.
4: They created the role for Gail.
7: How they're going to fill this role in a timely fashion is very interesting.
0: You would sh- Now, will they, because they tailored the role, guys, for Benny Gale, does that mean that it's a diminished role now that Benny Gale has elected not to go for it? No, we don't know that. No, the portfolio is large. Is that reasonable to suspect that
7: that's the case or no, not necessarily. be the same role? We don't know what Brendan Gale's reasons are, but he's going to be at Richmond for at least another year as Cara reported. Well, I
0: saw that article and there was talk of perhaps Tasmania's CEO in a couple of years.
7: Oh, Wasn't yeah. Wasn't there? For Brendan the Gale. new
0: club. Interesting. Yeah, which would make some sense. I mean, that's clearly a real passion of his. It may not work.
4: And Tom, just quickly before we head to the break, you broke the Harry Himmelberg story during the week. It was reported as a five-year offer for the past few months. So what's happened?
7: It became a six-year offer in the last 48 hours. An interesting thing between manager and club when it gets bumped up by – a year and he signs straight away so clearly they're holding off for that extra season he'll be 33 when he comes out of contract harry himmelberg all
4: right that's been the news whip with tom morris (laughs) very good indeed stick with us on sunday crunch time Dee's assistant troy chaplin and hawks gun dylan moore to join us in the second hour
2: Available after 10.30am for a limited time. You're listening to Crunch Time. Time. Zito Power Tools. German design quality and innovation powering DIYers. All day, every day. Visit Berwick GWM Havel and test drive the GWM Canon CC. Part of the Berwick Motor Group.
4: Welcome back to the second hour of Sunday Crunch Time for OZITO. Powering DIYers all day, every day at Bunnings. And a very warm welcome if you are joining us for the first time all around the country. Sarah Ollie here with Tom Morris and Scott Lucas. A big second hour coming up. Soon we'll speak to Melbourne assistant Troy Chaplin ahead of their Clash. Uh, down in Tassie against the Roos a bit later today. And Dylan Moore, didn't he star yesterday for Hawthorne? We'll speak to him a little later too. Hello again, Tom.
7: Hello, Sarah. How are you this morning? Very, well, very sprightly. We've
4: just ticked over into the afternoon. It was a very strong first hour, but I think this one's going to be well, even stronger given the guests that are coming up.
7: The guests that are coming up and the news that is uh, coming soon on Nick Dacos. We're okay. not far away from that. We're waiting on Collingwood to know how serious this Cork knees and whether he'll be able to play next week and um, exactly the damage that was done yesterday.
4: It's going to be a big story, regardless, isn't it? Given mm. what happened yesterday with Finn McGuinness? and we will ask Dylan more a little bit more yeah. on that. But it was a <laughs> it was a bit of a day of surprises, really, Scotty.
0: Full of them. It's almost surprises aren't surprises anymore. Yeah, that's are true. It? Yeah. <laughs> but it's almost like that. Um, full of surprises. Strong performance by the Hawks. What was in, and interesting from the Hawks if we look at it last week in that first quarter against St Kilda? I think the Saints kicked five goals from centre bounce, 9-1. Yesterday, 18-3. to three, Centre bounce in favour of the Hawks. So they're able to fix that.
4: It's a total domination, really. It
0: was. And so their area of weakness, and it's a part of the art of coaching, isn't it? Uh, and why I've been so impressed with what Sam Mitchell has been able to do is, okay, this didn't work. We need to address it. And they did. And on the back of that, Uh, they beat the team that's on top of the ladder.
4: Well, let's get straight into it with the Sunday Sermon.
7: Now, it's time for the Sunday Sermon on Crunch Time. Well, I've been handed the keys again this week, and I'll take it on board, Sarah. (laughs) For the first time this year, Collingwood's prognosis is not so black and white. Consecutive losses are less of a reason to panic and more of a reason to ponder where that cloak of invincibility has gone. Tom Mitchell's position in the team is questionable. Nick Dacos and Nathan Murphy, Murphy were injured yesterday. But more pressingly, Collingwood has lost its zest, its pizzazz and its X factor. The very ingredients which no other club could find are now out of stock at the Holden Centre. Of course, these ingredients can be reordered, but they are no guarantee to arrive on time. It was interesting listening to Craig McRae yesterday. Even he can see a lack of energy in his men.
3: The disconnection between our... Game a little bit. It's just gone off the last couple of weeks. Comparatively, if you compare that tackle on the boundary line to what we do, uh, maybe there wasn't enough of those efforts consistently enough. Um, we'll look deeper into that. But um, I think we've proud. Of, uh, have great pride in our connection the last 18 months, and yeah, tonight wasn't wasn't that. The good news is Collingwood has
7: earned its cushion. They've won 16 matches, but with just three games to get it right, and two of those matches against Geelong and Brisbane, they wouldn't want to flirt with form any longer. Peaking early requires you to hold. Peaking late allows momentum to be carried through. Chasing is often easier than being chased. Just ask Gary Hall Jr. It must be said, most premiership (laughs) teams have a mini flat spot at some stage, except for Scotty's 2000 juggernaut, but very few struggle in the last month of the season. And when McRae was asked by our good friend Josh Gabalich whether this fortnight will end up being a blessing in disguise, the Pies coach was typically glass half full.
3: Yeah, I, I live in that world that I, I reckon that, yeah, I'd like to think so. Yeah, I'm an optimistic guy and um, I look on the, the bright side of life and, and look for the good in things. Um, we just, in the last couple of weeks, there's a lot of parts of our game that just doesn't look the same as what it has. In the, but this is a long, long journey, a marathon. Um, yeah, I'd like to think so, and when, whenever we get to reflect on this season, we look back and go, oh, that was a moment, that was a moment. We learned a lot last week. There was so much we learned last week, and we presented it to the players, and we learned a little bit more this week. Um, yeah, our best is in front of us, I'm confident of that.
4: If there was a soundtrack to the life of Craig McRae, (laughs) it probably would be always look on the bright side of your life because, as he says, he's an optimist. They've had back-to-back losses for the first time this season and I think for the first time in almost 12 months. around
7: eight last year, I think. But that's
4: okay. They're having a little blip here. They're going to get an audit, as you say, over the next coming weeks because they've got games against the Lions and the Cats. You say, Tom, they've lost their zest, pizzazz and X Factor. Have they lost all of that really?
7: Well, they don't have that same energy that they've had in previous weeks. This is just the last two weeks I'm talking about. So it's a very small sample size and it's not to say they can get it back, but he called it a disconnect. I think what he's referring to is the energy, that vibe that they've had for so long now. They just haven't quite had the same, uh, the, to the same level the past fortnight. Look, in, the, in, a season of, in, in a season of upsets, this was one of the biggest. Hawthorne was 16th, Collingwood a first by two games. And Hawthorne kicked the first five goals of the match and won by 32 points. That's a massive upset. Any way you look at it, Scotty?
0: Absolutely. Uh, really interesting press conference. Yeah. He was talking to his players then, wasn't he? You know, sometimes you, you hear a coach and, and they may address the media. They may be talking to their members. Um, he was talking to his players, mm. really, for me, where he's just saying, hey, listen, not our best work, but we're learning and we're on a journey. Um and the journey's never linear, is it? There's ups and downs. We're going through a down. But when we come out the other side, we'll be better prepared and in a better position to hit the finals. Um,
4: while he is looking on the bright side of life, he also hates losing Craig McRae. And this was very evident post-match.
3: No, but I, I think I think it's like anything. You wouldn't lose a draw. You just, we're in the growth mindset business. I I hate losing more than most people. I, I must say that. I, I'm, a, I'm not a bad loser, but I just hate losing. And I'll do anything to to make this group better and, and improve ourselves. Um, this is not the end, of the end of the world. We're not wearing black armbands for, for this loss. Like, it's just it's a, a moment in time. We, we've got work to do. There's, there's great lessons that can be learned from tonight or this afternoon. And, um, you know, certainly, you know, around that hunger and sort of psychology, I'll be digging a bit deeper.
4: So in the end, it was the Hawks getting up sixteen nine, a one oh five defeating Collingwood eleven seven seventy three, a thirty two point win. And he spoke there, Tom Craig McRae, about the psychology of the whole match and how the game, for the most part, in his eyes, is very much played above the shoulders. Now, he wasn't saying that his players came in and just thought it would be a fait accompli, but perhaps they didn't attack the game as they would have when, for example, they travelled to Adelaide Oval a couple of weeks ago to play Port.
7: Yeah, I was interested in listening to Dermot Brereton last week talk about this on Saturday Crunch Time, and he put the onus or the pressure on Nick Dacos, among others, that they weren't quite going as hard at the ball as what they had in previous right. weeks. Yeah. And I listened to Derm say that and I thought, that's interesting. So I was watching it closely and it's very hard for my eye to pick up when a player is not going at 100%. But Scotty, I want to ask you, does it look like Collingwood, it doesn't quite mean as much to Collingwood as perhaps it would have a few weeks ago. And this can be subconscious, I presume, as well.
0: July or early August, I think is always really tough for, for players. You've got the start of the season where you establish yourself and then you're up and about July... It's a, a tough grind. You can't quite see the finals. They're not close enough to give you that lift again. It's a grind. I find that month was always the hardest month to get through. Yep. And for want of a better expression, the arousal levels or the the need to be up all the time, it's just too difficult because as Craig McRae said, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So you don't pace yourself by any means, but there are games that you're just not hitting at that full everything's on the line. And there was some footage during the week on one of the shows of Nick Dacos against Carlton where there were three or four times where, you know, he just... That might have been Derm.
7: Yeah. That was what Derm was referring to. And it
0: might have been on with Derm during the week that he just wasn't at his best or most aggressive or hungry at the ball. Uh, So for him, not so much him, but more broadly... Yeah, they're going through that at the moment. And my snap earlier was Finn McGuinness, and we'll talk about Hawthorne in a bit. But Nick Dacos,
7: he's um, he's a lightning rod at the moment because he's been playing so well. So as soon as he's slightly off, people notice it. And as soon as he doesn't quite do what he's been doing, then people are willing to attack it. Yeah. Because he and people expect so much of him, whether fairly right. or unfairly. He's set a bar so high, if he doesn't quite reach that bar every single week, it's difficult. Look, the Pies have lost two in a row. They're not out of it. Clearly they probably still will finish first. But I think Darcy Moore is a conversation worth having as well because the last two weeks, he's been below his best, which has been different for him. He's an attacking defender, so he's always going to have some goals kicked on him. But he made some uncharacteristic errors yesterday as well.
0: He did. They get so much drive from their intercept game. Like, if you look at their back line, they like to intercept and then get their movement going and be aggressive. Now, if we can say that they're not intercepting as much... Also, part of that is if you allow easy ball to come inside your forward line, it's really difficult to lay off your opponents, etc. So they'll be looking at the pressure that their midfield aren't applying, meaning that good ball's coming in instead of dirty ball. As soon as it's dirty, interceptors lay off and start their game and their overlap run and that is absolutely... Uh, exceptional, But if you look through the year, there are times, I mean, I think back to Anzac Day when Essendon really mm. played well, but oh, yeah. Collingwood would just keep surging back. I th- There was a, a really interesting number about how many, th- you know, down at three-quarter time and they win. So they haven't been all-conquering all along. They've been clutch and finished games so well, but they have given uh, – they might be 16-4 and four or 16-4 uh, they are – but if we dug a bit deeper on some of those 16 wins, there'll be looks that they've given the opposition that the opposition weren't able to act upon and finish them off.
4: So, Tom, as you alluded to, one of the battles within the war yesterday was Finn McGuinness on Nick mm-hmm. Dakos. He limited the gun to just five disposals, his lowest tally this season, by some margin. Let's hear from Sam Mitchell on Finn McGuinness and then from Craig McRae on the job he did on Nick Dacos.
1: Finn Finn will leave no stone unturned in getting his job done and unfortunately, quite often this year, we haven't been able to let him do his best job because of other problems in the game. You know, we can't retain the ball in our front half, we can't put enough pressure on our position, we can't slow them down, we can't win centre bounces. You know, there's always something else that's causing us trouble. Uh, and so today, Finn got to do the job for the whole game and we saw what he can do. And, you know, Teikos is an absolute star. He's had the fantastic season and... Um, yeah, you know, he's he still helped them in different ways without doing it himself. But Finn, I was really proud of him and he was quite disappointed that he got a couple of free kicks um, after the game. But he was he was so diligent. We thought about dropping it at three-quarter time. He said, no, I can still go to him. I can still go to him if we do this. And he's so diligent in what he wanted to do. So I was really... I mean, I, I knew Finn had that in his kit bag, but we haven't allowed it. So it was good that he got to do it today. Yeah,
3: the, the, the level of... Um, yeah, the tag was what we expected, um, Nick gets a bit of a knock makes it harder for him to run off as much so we put him deep, um, didn't quite work and then in the end you go we're actually tying ourselves in knots here trying to find a place for Nick and it's actually disconnecting the other parts of our game so we just in the end just went with what we knew so um, back to a bit of a normal system. I think um, I think credit to Finn McGuinness who's found a role for himself in the AFL, he's a great kid. Um, Lucky enough to work with him for 12 months. He he works as hard as his game as anyone I've seen. So, um, yeah, challenges always present.
4: Sam Mitchell and Craig McRae there commenting on the game of Finn McGuinness who kept Nick Dacos to just five disposals. And Dacos, Tom, ended up on the pine with that leg injury. What's the latest there?
7: The news just in from Collingwood, and it's not good news for the Pies, is Nick Dacos, their young star, is expected to miss six weeks. Wow. So that's the rest of the home and away wow. season and the first week or two of finals at least. So the quote from Graham Wright, Collingwood's general manager of football, on Nick Dacos, is Nick has been seen by a specialist knee surgeon this morning and while fortunately this does not require an operation, it will need time to heal before he returns to football. At this stage, the expected time frame for Nick is six weeks.
4: That is a huge story in the context not just of Collingwood's season – But his season, Tom, because he's leading the Brownlow. Yeah,
7: it's got Brownlow implications. Um, It's got implications for Collingwood. So Nick has a hairline fracture in the lateral tibial plateau of the right knee joint. I'd like someone to to translate that for me. It doesn't sound good. All I know from a football perspective is six weeks really hurts the Pies and it really hurts Nick Dacos as well. Not a good day for the Pies yesterday. It, It was one of those days that they haven't had probably for the last two years. Everything's gone their way. They've played great football, and they've been injury-free largely. This this was a, a dirty day.
0: Do you think they – and we'll touch on the injury, I'm sure, again. Do you think they – and you mentioned they. Do you think they got distracted, the Collingwood players, by Nick getting tagged? Well, Craig McRae
7: suggested they potentially did. And in the end, they just had to go back to sort of play, play football. playing
0: football. Mm. I think it's a really good
7: point. Mm. And it's not
0: – You want to support your player – But once others get distracted with what's happening between McGuinness and Dacos trying to support Nick, does it distract from their structure, the mindset of the other players? And it looked like it did.
4: It's a fine line, isn't it? Because you want the players to support Nick and make sure he's getting some blocks and some support. But if it boils over, and it did several times yesterday, we saw his brother Josh get in the face of uh, a few of the opponents. Perhaps it was too much of a distraction.
7: The other injury news, and this is also not good regarding Collingwood, is Nathan Murphy, their defender, who's been in the news for a variety of reasons <laughs> this year. So in a sort of a bizarre fashion, um, so he went under underwent scans yesterday, and he suffered a low grade syndesmosis injury, which, as you said, Sarah earlier, sounds like an oxymoron, and he's expected to miss the next two to three weeks. So he could be out for the rest of the home and away season as well. Um, it's a it's a a Blow for Nathan Murphy, Nick Dacos, who I repeat will miss the next six weeks with a knee injury, and Collingwood Footy Club.
0: Collingwood won't want to talk about Brownlow because they're a team, etc. But it would be a huge effort for a player to win, wouldn't have polled yesterday, misses the next three, to effectively miss the last four games of the season. Yeah, it makes was... for an interesting count night, doesn't it? It will indeed, has he got especially a big if the Bond What's...
4: continues to perform like he has. And I mean, he wasn't tagged on Friday night, and look what he was allowed to do.
0: I wonder, yeah, yeah. He's just is that bit harder because of that physical asset of size to tag, isn't it? He's an enormous man, Bond, the, to play midfield, and I think his season hasn't been talked about enough because, in many ways, Nick has been so exceptional in any other year. Bont would be a clear Brownlow favourite, wouldn't he?
7: So six weeks. So I'm just going through the maths in my head. Three weeks left of the home and away season. The The bye bye. week is a four. Two more weeks is week one and two of finals. That means Nick Dacos, if the the, um, diagnosis is accurate, is not back until prelim final week.
4: It's a huge developing story indeed. And just before we do move on, just... A celebration of James Sicily yesterday. 37 disposals, 19 marks, 10 intercept possessions. He even had three goal assists. So he was doing everything James Sicily, And he'd have to be penciled into that All-Australian squad, Tom.
0: I think penned into the All-Australian squad. Penned ball. in? Yeah. Put it in ink? Put him in. I would yep. have thought he would have been last year, guys, but he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Good
4: to see you're not salty about no. that at all. Well, we've and got...
0: my ob- objectivity is my number one strength, <laughs> probably, isn't it? <laughs> but I, I couldn't believe that last year uh he's missed a bit of football but um if you look at it his contribution and his impact on games um, is so significant
4: the body of work is certainly there and we've got three big games to come this sunday it begins at blundstone arena with north melbourne taking on melbourne and assistant troy chaplin has been good enough to join us troy welcome to sunday crunch time
8: thanks very much sarah boys how are you going
4: We are good. How are you guys feeling ahead of this game down at Tassie? It's a bit of a strange one, given that Alistair Clarkson is back for the first time in a while.
8: Yeah, it is. It's uh, obviously good to have Clarko back. We know he's uh, such an important figure in footy and obviously had that break there for a while. So we expect a bit of a spike from the Kangaroos um, with him coming back. And I think it's his 400th as well. So uh, we're looking forward to the hit out. It's, it's perfect conditions down here. There's there's not a breath of wind at the moment. The ground's in great condition. So we should see a really good game of footy.
7: Troy, Trum, uh, T- Troy, Tom Morris here. I forgot my name. <laughs> <Get> <laughs> I, forgot my, I forgot my name there for a second. Troy, how are you going? Good to chat. Um, I want to ask how it is to be the backline coach for Melbourne at the moment, given the focus on the forward line and the ruck. You must be uh, having some nice quiet meetings with Simon Goodwin and say it's going okay.
8: Oh, I don't think so, Tom. It's not that easy. It's uh, obviously we're we're trying to find ways to improve, and um, there's been a lot of talk around our forward line. But the last few weeks, we, we've put on um, 100. I think we're averaging 100 points the last three weeks. So we knew that for a period of time throughout the course of the year, we we weren't quite connecting as well as what we could have. But there's still room for improvement for our backs as well. I think we're we're probably really only going at about a six or a seven at the moment. I think we've got some really Um, Some big improvement and obviously it would be nice to start to to see that improvement today and and hold us in good stead as we we get to the porty end of the year. But um, we've spoken to our guys, it doesn't matter what area it is, whether it's mid, back or forward, we're trying to improve and find our best mix and and hopefully have it ready to go before final start.
0: So, Troy, you clearly lost the petty debate at Match Committee and (laughs) uh, he's in the forward line.
8: Well, Scotty, I have now, mate. After he kicks six, I've got no choice, so (laughs) Uh, look, the, the thing with that is, once again, we're trying to find a different mix that's going to help us get better, and, and Pets, we, we've known for a while he can play either end. But, um, I love him just because of his competitiveness and his ability to to, to allow Maisie and Rick, uh, Jake Lever sorry, to, to play their best football, ball, and he's sort of been a little bit unheralded in that regard, and now he's been able to go forward, and uh, he was fantastic last week. Before he went down with his foot injury, he was starting to find some real form too, so I've certainly lost that argument now, and I'm more than happy to if he's going to keep playing that way.
0: Troy, and Jake Melksham has been outstanding. Even more important, considering he's played a lot of VFL early in the year, which is difficult for a player at that stage of their career. But to come in and play as well as he has as a forward has also given you another strong avenue to goal.
8: Yeah, he has. And with Frida going out, we lost a guy who, like, Bailey's very smart. He's clever around goal, but Melky is as well. And, I think it speaks a lot of Malky's character. He, he hasn't complained. He's got to work on his game. And, and what he does do for our forward line is he, he, he uses leadership. He sets guys up in the right spot. Uh, he's a calming influence. And probably what's really happened to him is the footy guides are giving it back to him in, in spades. He's He's been really important to us the last couple of weeks and, and had some really pivotal moments where he's had to kick th- tough goals. And he's taken his chance. And I think it's just great for Malky that he's... He's found himself a spot and he's playing really consistent footy at the moment. It's given us it's going to give us coaches a lot to think about when, when Frida um, is ready to come back in too. Troy,
7: I can imagine it must be difficult dealing with injured players at the best of times. I, I can only imagine that Clayton Oliver has been this times 10 given his <laughs> lack of injury history and also his general personality and his will to win and play. How close was he to playing this weekend? Yeah, look, he
8: was very close. Um, he probably he's probably a little bit flat when we told him earlier in the week that he, we didn't want to... Um, bring him back this week because he's, as you said he's competitive nature, he just wants to play he just wants to be out there with the boys and, and just be able to play footy so having footy taken away from him he's, he's found it hard to deal with at times um, but we expect him to be right for next week um, as I said he was very very close and he's been training with the group the last week and a half and he's ticked off all his markers now and, and we expect him to be ready for Carlton which is uh, next week which is going to be a big game too
0: Troy you mentioned Bailey Fritch how far away is he?
8: Yeah, I think Fritter's probably, it'll either be round 24 or it'll be the first week of finals. But once again, it's, <laughs> do you use do you try and rush him back for that round 24 or do you just use that week before the finals to get some load into him and um, potentially play at Casey um, in the VFL? Maybe we give him three quarters or something like that. It's something we've only briefly discussed as coaches and, and we'll know more as it gets close to that date, but um, we're certainly looking forward to having him back because he's a He's a class player, he hits the scoreboard for us and um, at the moment we're doing well without him but he's a guy that we really need for for September and and the back end of the year.
0: Troy, if that wasn't a rhetorical question, give him an extra week and make sure he's got plenty of load (laughs) and he's ready to go.
8: Yeah, no, we'll we'll do the right thing by him and and what's best for the team but it's one of those ones, it's a little bit like Clayton as well, you you have a discussion around this week off. you play him and give him three quarters and then potentially sub him, but then you just take a risk because if someone gets injured early in the year, it just throws, uh, sorry, early in the game, it just throws your plans out of, out of whack. So uh, we'll just do the right thing by the athlete and, and what's best for the team as well.
7: Troy, you've got a history at a couple of footy clubs, Port Adelaide and, and Richmond Footy Club. What are your aspirations from a senior coaching perspective? You've been in the game for a long time now. Um, do you feel like it's something that you could accomplish in the next few years or is it more of a mid- to long-term goal?
8: Uh, it's something I want to do, Tom. It's I've, I'm passionate about coaching. I love trying to help others and, and I, I take joy out of them improving and, and reaching their own individual goals and team goals. So it's certainly on the radar. Now, whether that's soon or, or further down the track, all I can do is just be the best assistant coach I can be at the moment and just keep finding ways to grow and improve individually. But it certainly is a goal of mine in the future. But... I'm not going to rush into it either. So I need to make sure that the the opportunity is right because I want to succeed at it as well.
7: Have the Tigers contacted you?
8: I haven't spoken to anyone from the Tigers. So it's, yeah, you sort of just wait. And and if they want to have a chat, then I'll definitely go down that path. But I think everyone's sort of waiting to see what happens there and, and where that goes.
4: We're speaking to Troy Chaplin, the Melbourne assistant. You're coming up against the Roos today, Troy, and I'm interested in the psychology of coaching. We've seen this weekend a big upset at the MCG yesterday, and Craig McRae spoke to this after the game, that perhaps his side weren't hungry enough, or they just thought that perhaps uh, they might just get it done. How do you approach a match like this when you're sitting in fourth position and you're coming up against a side that hasn't won since round two?
8: I think if you look at the the competition, uh, it's just so even, Sarah. Oh, I've never seen it as even as what it is now. And it doesn't matter who you play against, where they are on the ladder. If you don't come with the right mentality and attitude, then you can easily lose. So we've spoken to our players around, take the result out of it. Let's just focus on the process and what we can control. And a lot of that's going to be around our defensive actions and team first football. We don't want guys going outside of their role because they feel that this is going to be an easy game. So this is... This is absolutely not going to be an easy game. This is going to be a tough game. Uh, all their talents around the footy, it's going to be a real strong contest game. Their stoppage works very good. So we know we're going to have our hands full and uh, we've, we've prepared the players for that. And now we've just got to make sure that we motivate them and make sure their energy's up so when the when the ball is bounced that they're ready to go and they're switched on.
4: Troy, best of luck for today and for the rest of the season. Thank you for joining us on Crunch Time.
8: No, no worries at all. Appreciate it. Thank you, Troy.
4: That was Melbourne assistant <laughs> Troy Chaplin there. Bailey Fritch is the days are playing the Swans in round 24. I'd be happy if Peter an extra week. <laughs> <laughs> week. put us on Sunday crunch time. Plenty more to come. Dylan Moore is up next.
3: We kicked Hawthorne's
2: last just 30 seconds ago. He hangs his left and lets it work back right. Two in a row to Dylan Moore and the Hawks. And they've got an early 13-point lead.
4: What a performance from Hawthorne yesterday at the MCG. 16-9, 105, defeating Collingwood 11-7, 73 to record a 32-point win. It wasn't one we saw coming. I wonder if it was one our guests saw coming. It's Dylan Moore. Dylan, welcome to Crunch Time.
2: Hey, Sarah. Thanks for having me.
4: Where does that rank in terms of victories in your career? That was some result yesterday.
5: Yeah, we actually spoke about this with a few of the boys on the ground and we we'll say it's probably our favourite win um, of a lot of our careers and especially mine, I guess. We came into this week and it was a real finals-like game for us. We probably pumped this up as if it was one of our grand finals for last month. So to be able to deliver, um, yeah, it was awesome. Dylan,
7: Tom Morris here. I want to play some audio from your coach talking about James Sicily yesterday, please.
1: Probably eight, eight or ten weeks ago, he just wasn't. He had he had a quieter game, and he said, oh, "I think I was leading too much. So this week, I'm just going to just play myself. I'm just going to be my best." And then he had. He had a game against St Kilda where he had 40 possessions and something ridiculous, a bit like what he did today. And at the end of the game, I was talking to him and said, maybe you should just play for yourself a bit more often. And every person said, such a great leadership game and that's the captain you want. And his growth and willing to try things through the year, I think so many good key defenders in the competition. And the thing that makes this... The best of them, in my view, bias, of course. Um, but the thing that makes him the best of them is he's a defensive juggernaut, but he's also a offensive threat.
7: Dylan, can you tell us about the evolution of James Sicily as a leader? Because Sam Mitchell, to me, there, if you read between the lines, is saying that earlier in the season he was too selfless. He decided to be more selfish, which in turn is selfless because it helps the team. <laughs> <laughs>
5: yeah, it's funny that. Um, yeah, with Sis he's he's been amazing for our club and. I think especially last year with Ben McAvoy out for most of the years, Sis took took a lot of the reins and he probably wasn't ready last year, but to get a bit of exposure early on and um, to be our pretty much captain for the whole year, I know Jaga, Omira uh, O'Meara helped out a bit, but it, it felt like Sis was the captain of our club last year and to not have that title I think helped him out a lot because he didn't have the pressure of the title. But then this year, yeah, maybe early on it was oh, I've got the title now, I've got to I've got to be more selfless and do everything for the team but i think he's just going back to what works for him and um yeah i guess being a bit more selfish where he's demanding the footing demanding more of others is just um it's just what we expect from him and i guess we just give him the footy because we know what he's going to do do with it he's going to do something good with it so i don't i don't see it as a selfish thing it's more of what's going to do the best for the team and he knows if, if he's the best player every week we're more likely to win dylan scott lucas
0: here congratulations on the win Really a mature performance from a young team, and what I mean, and one that would be really pleasing to the coaches, last week I saw the game against St Kilda, they dominated your centre bounces in the first quarter and kicked, I think, five goals from it. Yesterday, 18-3 to clearances from centre bounce. You're clearly a very coachable group that listen and learn from the instruction provided by the coaches. I imagine that could be the most pleasing aspect of the win for Sam Mitchell.
5: Yeah, absolutely. The boys in the centre did an amazing job. And yeah, 18-3 to three, um, against a very talented side is is very good work. And I think it's just got to do with all the work they're putting in. And the coaches are helping out a lot with doing the right structures and giving us um, belief that, that we're good enough. But especially for that midfield group, to be honest, I, I haven't seen a group do as much work as they do. And um, Peter Burge, our high performance manager, is trying to get everyone off the track um, just a couple of days ago. And... The midfielders are still there doing centre bounce work, so I think it's the work that they're putting in is really uh, reaping the rewards now.
0: Dylan, Sarah is uh, on very good terms with Toby Green, and we do a snapshot <laughs> just where we describe provide
4: some context. There, yeah. I'm a big fan of Toby yeah, Green on good
0: terms. Yeah, and we the, all. <laughs> <laughs> I have a similar bent towards Will Day. I've seen Hawthorne a lot this year and have been amazed at his evolution from half back to midfield. Just tell us how he has gone about raising his game to the level it is at.
5: Yeah, he's he's very talented, and I think it was probably started in pre-season. He's had a very interrupted um, career so far with a few injuries and just getting his body right. But this pre-season, he just attacked us so hard. And, um, he models his game around the bond and he put on a bit more size to to try get into the midfield. And to see him grow this year has been enormous. And I think the talent has taken him so far, but then now the hard work is really bringing it together and. Um, yeah, it's, it's a joy to watch every week. Yeah, you see him bursting out of the midfield and us forwards just licking our lips.
7: Dylan, you and I met at the draft combine in 2017. I don't know if you remember our chat. I remember it very well. And at the time, I remember you were touted as sort of a top 15 or top 20 pick. And I was surprised on the draft uh, or the, the two draft nights when you slipped to pick 67 and I've sort of watched your career closely and you were delisted in 2020. I think you're one of the AFL's great stories of uh, perseverance. You've come back and now you're in the leadership group at Hawthorne and one of the most important players. How difficult was this period for you to not just prove yourself at Hawthorne, but prove yourself as a, as a first choice player? Five years, three, four years ago, you w- it, there wouldn't have been many people that would have backed you to become the player that you have today.
5: Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh... Yeah, I guess it, it was tough, but especially, what was it, yeah, my third year when I was struck with, I had pubis and I was struggling to get on the track and getting my body right, and that was the year that list sizes were getting cut and no one knew how many were going to be on a list, so being in limbo for a long time, um, yeah, it was tough and I didn't know if I was going to ever be able to pull on a, a on Guernsey again and I was a Hawks fan growing up, so my dream is just to go out there every week and play for Hawthorne so nearly get that taken away from me was very challenging but yeah like it's, it's a bit of a cliche but it's probably the best thing that's happened to me because it, it showed me how much I wanted it and how much it meant to me so yeah that time where I wasn't sure if I was going to be on this was the time where I wanted to act like I was still an AFL player and um to put in the hard yards and with the help of a few coaches and a few players to get me back on the right track so to get my body right and then Um yeah, end up playing consistent footy. Um yeah, it was challenging, but yeah, I've loved it.
4: We're speaking to Hawthorne Vice Captain Dylan Moore and Dylan, you said before you're a big fan of Toby Green's. I imagine that likewise you've got a lot of respect for a player like Nick Dacos. Take us into the conversations at the club this week around Finn McGuinness and the role that he was going to play. I mean, limiting Dakos to just five disposals, it was a really selfless and impressive performance.
5: Yeah, yeah, it was, it was amazing for Finn. And to be honest, he was very nervous all week because he knew he had it. It was after, after St Kilda game, straight away, Sam said, mate, you know, we, we've got Collingwood next week. This is a massive game. You're going straight to Nick. And so all week, he was a bit nervous. But um, I think with Finney he, he's just so diligent with what he does. And to go out there and, yeah, holding the five touches, I know he got injured, which is a shame. Um, all the best for him with his recovery. But, um, yeah, it, it was great to see Finn really get back to just being... What I, what I deem is the best t- tagger in the game, and it was great to see him do that against my and It helped us get the win.
0: Hey, Dylan, Tom remembers talking to you. Do you remember talking to Tom? <laughs> no, I don't.
9: <laughs> yes! Oh, no!
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Dylan. That's all we know. Um, <laughs> hey, it was really interesting a couple of weeks ago, Dylan. I heard Sam Mitchell reference the last quarter and against Richmond and not having trained scenarios all that much at Hawthorne. How does the week look differently with a younger group that's clearly on the way up compared to perhaps three or four years ago when you started and you were in a different phase of what you were trying to do each week?
5: I think it's just more he's trying to hold us to higher stands now and after that Richmond game, he said this isn't acceptable and we can't lose games like that. If we want to get somewhere in this league and go back to playing finals footy, games like that can't we can't lose them. So I think, yeah, maybe two years ago we wouldn't have had those chats and really hard conversations on the Monday review where people were in the gun and it was, this wasn't good enough, this isn't what the standard of a top four side would do. So I think what's changed now is that our standards are we're trying to act every day as if we're a top four team. So to go out on the weekend and do that against the best team in the competition was was really good.
4: Dylan, congratulations on the win yesterday. Thanks for joining us on the Sunday Crunch Time and thanks for giving us the best soundbite of the year, not remembering Tom.
1: <laughs> Thank <laughs> you, Dylan.
7: Sorry, Tom. All good, Dylan. We're still mates. All good.
4: Dylan Moore there, Hawthorne vice-captain and star, kicking two goals from his 22 touches yesterday. Yeah. It's not about you, Tom. It's, it's
0: not, not about the story. me. Tom, how could you possibly say you set yourself up then you remember having it I'm not sure whether you remember I sat where with him. I, where Sarah and I were fighting over who was going to ask the question <laughs> does he remember chatting to you I
7: remember talking to him and he was a steeplechaser as a kid oh. and I was so interested in his story of athletics um, in 2016 he won the 1600 meter event at the stall gift uh, so he's an amazing athlete and I remember him saying that he won uh, clearly I remember it better than he remembers it but he grew 30 centimeters in a year and a half. Something ridiculous like that. So his development as a footballer was accelerated. Um, and then it was stopped when he was delisted at the end of 2020. And because he was delisted, Scotty, as you know, you get more bargaining power at the trade table because then you're a free agent for, for life. life.
0: So every time he's out of contract, yeah. but He thought ne- that he could leave for somewhere else for nothing. Amazing. means he's more attractive to opposition teams.
7: Like Lockie Schultz at Frio. Yeah, the same. He, so
0: he has real leverage with Hawthorne. Mind you, he seems like a guy that's enjoying his football there and... Hawthorne will be good to deal with, so it'll be all be fine. Well, but it's, it's nice to, to have that in your back pocket he's locked in case in to, you need
7: it. Yeah, he's contracted to the end of 2026, but he's a free agent forever, and that's a good position to be in.
4: It sounds like he's got a lovely temperament as well, and in that chat then he referenced Nick Dacos and wished him well on his recovery. Just, Tom, for people that are joining us now on Sunday Crunch Time, what's the latest when it comes to Nick Dacos? Well, the
7: Collingwood scans are back. It's not good news. Nick Dacos, he's actually worse than first thought. We thought it might be a corky in his knee. It's actually a hairline fracture in his knee, and he's likely to miss at least six weeks. Nathan Murphy would ordinarily be the biggest story, which is two to three weeks. Big blow for the Magpies. So he doesn't need surgery. Six weeks takes him to prelim final weekend. And if you just look at this sort of injury, and I've just had a quick Google search online, six weeks is is at the very lighter end. So often people miss 10 to 12 weeks with this sort of injury. So he's really battling to be ready for prelim final week should the Magpies make it that far.
4: It's a massive developing story indeed, Tom. Thank you for that. Plenty more to come on Sunday Crunch Time. Up next, though, it's time for a dabble.
7: It's time to say hey to the social bet with dabble. Josh Jeans has joined us for a banter and a bet. Go on, have a dabble. You win some, you lose more.
2: Thanks, Sarah. Yeah, plenty happening on the dabble app. Of course, live streams during the week and plenty of banter in the banter channels, especially in the AFL with Dane Zorko, who... And uh, I know he's sure you're not too happy that he came out and dobbed it in Took Miller.
6: Oh, well, Josh, like what happens on the field stays on the field. We, we know that. It's an it's unwritten rule. And when questioned about it, came out and said that obviously Took did it deliberately, um, grabbed him on the groin area deliberately. Um, but for me, it was a tackle. And when you tackle someone, I don't know if you've ever played football, Josh, probably not, but when you tackle somebody, <laughs> you actually grab whatever you get and you hold on for dear life so that they don't, go, don't get away. And sometimes that might just so happen to be the groin area. I've done it and I've actually been on the receiving end as well over a very, very long career. These things do happen. I think the rivalry between them and the, you probably could say the hatred has got the better of old Dane Zorko there. But mate, for me, when when it's on the field, it stays on the field. When it's off the field, you move on.
2: Ah, oh, classic Dane Zorco behavior, I reckon. Uh, let's have a look at the footy today, though. Pretty big game. Uh, Saints taking on the Blues. The Blues, I don't know how you feel about this Heath, but they have been on fire. They beat your mob last week. Um, I'm taking them to win outright. I'm going over 158 and a half points. And Dan Butler. I like him.
6: Um, I'm giving him a score anytime. Yeah, not bad, Josh. I've gone the same. Over 158 and a points. Um, Sam Doherty to get 25 plus disposals and Jade Gresham to score anytime. And you know what? I don't like Carlton because I'm a Collingwood man, but it's good for footy when Carlton are up and running, Collingwood are up and running, Richmond are up and running, Essendon, all these teams up and running. So hopefully for the fans for football fans in general the Carlton get into the eight and make a run at the finals and maybe even play Collingwood in a final which would be ginormous
2: god could you imagine being around melbourne that night that that happens it would be it would be an absolute belter let's look forward to it but of course you can copy those bets with one click all you need to do download the dabble app follow the crunch time afl team and hit the copy bet button back to you sarah See trending bets from profiles like Heath Shaw, Dane Swan,
7: The Bev Show and plenty of others. Get following Crunch Time and have a dabble. Go on, have a dabble. You win some, you lose more. For free and confidential support, visit gamblinghelponline.org.au (laughs) <laughs> Look at Scotty's face.
4: How can you not like Tina Arena? She is a national icon. Boys.
7: Sorrento boots. Bear me.
4: Stare. I love when this comes on at a party. I get up and I have a good old boogie. <laughs> Sarah. I can't yeah. hit any of the notes though, Sarah. She's a very tiny. You're boogieing woman.
0: to this. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen Sarah I boogie are a, What are you doing? A slow waltz there. <laughs> Viennese waltz or some crap like that. <laughs> oh, All right, we're
4: going to straighten up a little bit because we've got three <laughs> we don't need to. games to come today <laughs> for the TAC. Don't use your phone illegally while driving TAC. It kicks off at Blundstone Arena, North Melbourne, taking on Melbourne at 1.10pm. We spoke to Dee's assistant, Troy Chaplin, a little time ago, and he said they won't be taking this game lightly despite oh. occupying fourth spot.
0: Cautionary tale, a wonderful example for the Melbourne players that were sitting in their hotel rooms yesterday watching Hawthorne get Collingwood. Mm. You know what's on the line. You You know if we're off, we can get done. So I don't think that's the worst thing for them in order of honing their focus before today and getting the job done against North Melbourne. I mean, as you said, Sarah, second spot's on the line. I mean, it's just enormous when two and three... A port in Brisbane and the way that the finals are configured. Second for Melbourne's enormous, our enormous. Ver- our
7: very loyal producer Benny Lyon, who is an absolute Melbourne tragic, tells me that he's nervous about the spike that Alistair Clarkson will give <laughs> North of Melbourne in his return to coaching.
0: Is, is that, that fair? Real? Don't, yeah. don't use Ben for your own thoughts. <laughs> That's rubbish. You're nervous because Clark no, I'm not, goes back. I'm not it's a bit nervous. of a misnomer, isn't it? I know we talk about you know the. Um, Replacement coach, but the stats don't actually back it up. No, no,
7: no. I disagree. (laughs) Because if you look at it, these clubs that are sacking their... Listen, aren't
0: very good. Yeah. And if they win 50%, percent exactly right. they are winning 25%. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah,
7: okay. yeah, So the numbers yeah. don't actually
0: tell the full story. Yeah. The
4: starting subs for today, Charlie Lazaro for The Ruse, Michael Hibbard for Ooh. Your D's. Tom. The next game, though, I think it is the pick of the bunch. It's St Kilda and Carlton, 3.20pm at Marvel Stadium. And the big inclusion for the Saints, Scotty, Max King. He comes in along with Bradley Hill.
0: Certainly straight, straightens them up. And the run and the carry for Brad Hill is incredibly important. Huge game, isn't it? Like the Saints are where they're at. And the Blues, a little bit wounded the Blues, but are playing as good a football as anyone at the moment. The Saints
7: Uh, were great last week against the Hawks, especially early. And the Hawks have just beaten Collingwood.
0: Yeah, yeah. The Hawks worked their way back into the game in a couple of critical areas. But that win stands up, no doubt about it, Tom. Uh, But the Blues, I mean, if you look at, their form line yeah. how strong that's been but uh it'll be a challenge for the blues today.
7: You know what I want to see, Sarah? I want to see a shootout uh salmon ablet like I want <laughs> to see Kerner at one end <laughs> and I want to see King at the other end. It's well, not gonna happen, yeah, but I'd like to see
0: it. Challenge for Max obviously coming back in having missed a bit of football, but yeah. he certainly will straighten them up. The ball movement last week and it was good to see. They showed what they are capable of. So they're go fifth. Hard. The yeah. fifth. Yeah.
7: It's amazing that they're fifth, but they are fifth.
4: Zach Fisher, he comes in for the Blues who lose Adam Chera. He's got that hamstring issue again. Mitch McGovern, he's out injured as well. Lockie Fogarty playing his 50th game today. And round 21, it concludes in the West. It's the Dockers and the Lions. 4.40pm at Optus Stadium. You talk about the D's and how they can jump into second spot. Well, the Lions will be having their eyes on second spot too, Tom.
7: Yeah, they will. And um, it's been a big week for the Lions with the whole Dane Zorko incident that we, Hmm. we saw last week and a bizarre turn of events. But this is a danger game for the Lions heading over to Perth. It's a big road trip. And Fremantle played good football last week. Now, we've said it a number of times, Scotty. I, reading Fremantle is like me trying to read Arabic. I've got yep. absolutely no idea what they're going to put on the park every single week. But at their best, they're very hard to beat at home. And yeah. if they can deliver that today, the Lions have got their work
0: cut out. You're spot on. It's the if, isn't it? We just don't know what they're going to do today, Freo, nor have we this year. Uh, they've got the talent there and they're at home. Uh, Brisbane, for me, just too much on the line for them.
7: Yeah. The carrot of second spot is oh, huge, huge for Melbourne and Brisbane today. Oh. A home... A home final. I know there's three weeks left. Is it
4: bigger for Brisbane, given the dominance they have at the Gabba?
7: Probably. But Melbourne don't want to be travelling to the Gabba or Adelaide Oval either. So it's significant for both. And there's no certainty that Collingwood are going to beat Geelong and Brisbane over the next two weeks either. So maybe the minor premiership is back open, especially without Nick Dakos.
4: Brennan Cox comes in for the Dockers and in for the Lions. It's Darcy Fort, Jackson Pryor and Zach Bailey. That's been today's games for the TAC. Mobile phone detection cameras are now operating. A message from the TAC. And we're finishing with something a little bit different, team. What is your tip of the day for tyre right? With over 25 tyre brands, steer, drive, trailer and more, tyre right. No trucking worries. Uh, (laughs) Tireite.com.au Are you looking for a
7: player tip or a game tip? Uh,
4: No, a game tip.
7: Well, my game tip is obviously Melbourne to beat North Melbourne. But I think St Kilda's going to beat Carlton. There you go. The Saints over Carlton at Marvel Stadium is my tip today.
4: Really? Is that just the injuries at Carlton that's swaying you?
7: Bearing in mind, I also tipped West Coast over North Melbourne last week. If you want to get the audio out. uh,
4: No, absolutely don't. No, don't
7: do that. Um, No, I think the Saints are most dangerous at Marvel. And I think Carlton
0: are due to have a flat one.
4: Your tip for the day, Scotty?
0: I'll go Carlton. I'm Ooh. still on them. Have we got a little? Have we got a little? Red? Yeah, I was going to say I forgot to bring the wine. Yeah, Tom. thank you. I apologize. <laughs> I, I acknowledge I owe you wine. Thank you, Scotty. I was waiting for that.
4: That's Tyrite right Tips brought to you by tyre right Sarah? For the best roadside oh, tyre emergency call. One 138 168 What's your tip? Um, I'm going to go with the D's down there. After speaking to Troy Chapman. we had a great chat. So get on the podcast to have a listen. We also spoke to Dylan Moore. Get to the end of that interview, everyone, because he gives our Tom one <laughs> almighty clip. Join the queue. Tom, just as we go <laughs> yep. out here, just the news again when it comes to Nick Dakos.
7: Nick Dacos is going to miss the next six weeks with a knee injury. It's a hairline fracture in the lateral tibial plateau of the right knee joint. What that means is he won't be back until prelim final week at the earliest. Nathan Murphy will miss two to three weeks as well with a syndesmosis.
4: Absolutely. Huge news coming out of the Magpies camp after that shock loss yesterday. Tom, Scotty, great to see you. I'll see you again next week. See you next week. On Sunday Crunch Time.
0: Miss your favourite show? Want to catch up on an interview? Download and listen to every SEN podcast when you
2: want it or on the SEN app. There's a word for when 100%
6: Aussie Angus beef meets fresh, crunchy lettuce, onion and juice.